Well, we're in Luke chapter 4, and um, we've been in this little section here as Jesus returns from the desert in the power of the Spirit for, this is the third occasion we've looked at this section. <clears throat> we looked at verses 14 and 15, which uh, really form a general heading to this start of the ministry of Jesus Christ. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and the report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And we saw there the priority of Jesus Christ was to teach. Uh, he came to teach, and he did that willingly in the power of the Holy Spirit. The heavens had opened, the Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove, and he received the Spirit of God without measure. And he carries out his earthly ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. But his priority is to preach. And Christianity is, prior, is primarily a message. And it's a message that under the hand of God changes lives. The sign that Christianity is true is not signs and wonders and healings and miracles. It's a changed human life. That is the sign. And when Paul writes to the church in Rome, he says, um, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation. We're saved from sin to righteousness, from hell uh, to heaven, from death to life, from darkness to light. What can do this? Certainly not religion, certainly not morality. Only Jesus Christ can do a helpless sinner good. And Jesus Christ comes preaching a message. And he begins in Galilee. It's um, quite a region there in the north of Israel. And much of his early ministry was in a town in Galilee called Capernaum. And he did many things in Capernaum. But now he comes to Nazareth, verses 16 through to 22, we looked at last week. And Nazareth is his hometown where he is known very well. And he stands up in the synagogue on the Sabbath morning. He's handed the scroll. He unfolds the scroll and rolls it and he finds the place in Isaiah chapter 61, the first two verses where it says, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor and uh, the restoration of the sight to the blind. And then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all were fastened on him. And he said from that seated position, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your presence. What a, what a claim on that Sabbath morning in the synagogue of Nazareth. All the culmination of the Old Testament prophecies and promises and types and shadows, Jesus says, they have been fulfilled this day in your presence. I am the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises and I, the messenger this morning, I am the Christ, I am the Messiah. What a claim. 
came from Jesus Christ in his hometown of Nazareth that particular Sabbath morning. And the eyes of all were fastened on him. But we're going to see the mood changes in the synagogue that morning. The initial response to Jesus' message is rather superficial. And and we need to be careful when we listen to the word of, of God that we don't respond in a superficial manner. But the initial response is very superficial. Here it is, verse 22. And all spoke well of him and marvelled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Uh, There's a general approval of what Jesus has said. They, They know him, fine young man. And didn't he speak well? What a nice, what a nice young man. That was their response. But for such a claim that this young man has made, he's 30 years old, he's a young man by their standards. There are many older men there who are stroking their beards, many older ladies there who are sitting uh, and and listening. And he's made a dramatic claim. I am the fulfilment of all the Old Testament prophecies. They've been fulfilled in your promise, in your presence right now. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. What a claim he makes. And they say, wasn't that nice? What a nice young man. And a nice response to Jesus is never, never enough. Whenever Jesus speaks, and he's speaking this morning, for all I do as a preacher is I open his book, the Bible, and I read a passage And I explain what it means. And I trust it's in the power of the Holy Spirit. So what is happening is is this. That Jesus is speaking to us. And to say it's nice, we've had a nice time, is never ever enough. Whenever the gospel is preached, the demand is repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ. There must be action. But it's a superficial response, first of all. And then secondly, it's a faithless response to God's word to them that particular morning. The end of verse 22 and into verse 23. And they said, mood starts to change now. What did he just say? Is not this Joseph's son? Do we? We know him. We know his, we knew his father. We know his mother, his brothers and sisters there. He, he grew up with our children. I, I knew his father. Isn't this Joseph's son? And Jesus, reading their thoughts, then speaks again from his seated position. He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. Give us a sign. We've heard the claim. Now prove it. Give us a sign. We know who you are. You're Joseph's son. You're the, isn't this the carpenter? With the words recorded in another of the Gospels. Isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this the carpenter? Give us a sign. 
We've heard what you did in Capernaum. Now, Capernaum's about 10 miles down the road. That might not seem a, a great distance to you and me, but uh, 2,000 years ago, it would take a while to go 10 miles. But they'd heard news of things that Jesus had been doing in Capernaum. And there were no texts, there wasn't Facebook, it wasn't Instagram reels, it wasn't uh, email, uh, it, was, it was word of mouth that a young man from Nazareth was doing astonishing things in Capernaum. Mark chapter 1 gives a list of those miracles. He'd uh, driven out a demon from a demon-possessed young man. Then Peter's mother-in-law was, was unwell and Jesus goes in and he, he heals Peter's mother-in-law and she gets up straight away and she starts to serve them and then that evening they brought many who were sick and possessed by demons and he healed them all and then Mark chapter 2 he's preaching in in a room and the roof opens up and a paralyzed man comes down and Jesus says your sins are forgiven who can forgive sins but God alone that you may know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins on earth. I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and he went home in full view of them all. And they said, we've never seen anything like this. Do it here, they say in the synagogue in Nazareth. We've heard what you did in Capernaum. Words are easy. Now give us a sign. Do it here. Lovely young man, outrageous claim. Lovely young man, outrageous claim. See, it's interesting. There are those who say, well, he never actually claimed to be God. Well, here it is, right at the start of Luke's gospel. It's as plain as the nose on on my face or your face. He's claiming to be the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises and prophecies, the Messiah, uh, the Christ, he will be Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah 9, will call, he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Today, in your presence, this scripture has been fulfilled. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. Oh, he's, his claims are very clear. And he has just one instance right at the start of Luke's gospel. But what do you think of Jesus Christ? The synagogue there in Nazareth. The heart of Israel. A synagogue. The scriptures being read Sabbath day by Sabbath day and taught by the rabbis. And then here he comes, the fulfillment of all those scriptures. And he's lived among them for 30 years. And he says, this is the day. This is the fulfillment I am the Christ. I am Messiah. I was reminded in preparing this of uh, that uh, well-known piece of writing by C.S. Lewis. And I'll read it here again because it's always worth thinking on and reading and rereading and contemplating. It uh, concerns the trilemma. Who was Jesus Christ? And in the synagogue 2,000 years ago in Nazareth, they come to their conclusion he was not who he claimed to be. But let me read this by C.S. Lewis. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. 
A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said, such as this day in Capernaum, would not be a great moral teacher if he were just a man. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg. That's a pretty loopy thing to say. Or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice, and they make their choice in the synagogue, and you're making your choice now at home or here in the chapel. Children, the youngest one here, the oldest person here, we have a a choice. We've got to come to a conclusion. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman was something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher only. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now, says C.S. Lewis, it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. A lovely young man, Joseph's son, yes, yes, carpenter, yes, but also much more. But they want a sign, give us a sign, show us proof. Their response is superficial and it's faithless, sceptical, doesn't come There's no repentance, there's no faith. And Jesus, I'm sure there'll be a pause after verse 23. Do it here in your hometown as well. Still looking at him. And then he starts his fiery sermon. And it was a fiery sermon. It was a daring sermon that he gives to Jews in Nazareth, in the synagogue, that particular Sabbath day. And it stretches from verse 24 and goes to the end of verse 27. It's quite a brief sermon, and maybe preachers have got much to learn from that. He doesn't detain them long, but there's quite a response. And it's Jesus Christ who's preaching. And we might say, well, preachers are unsuccessful unless they have lots of converts. Well, look at Jesus Christ. Was he successful? Three years in ministry, and at the end of it, 120 in the upper room. And at the end of his ministry, they, they crucified him. Is, is that success? And here, as he preaches the word of God in Nazareth. Now, I, I wouldn't look to preach for a, a response that brings church rage. But it's a brief sermon. And he certainly gets a response from them. You see, nice! It's a terrible response. And I know what folks might mean. I mean, I... I, And I'm not hankering for responses and, and comments. I have to say, in 21 years here, I've had not a lot with me. Actually, some encouraging things this week that have have come through. And uh, a preacher needs encouragement at times, but then he doesn't want his pride being fed. And that can happen so very easily. I had a lovely text this morning uh, from somebody and uh, a lovely uh, letter in the week 
uh, from somebody. Uh, but nice is not a, an acceptable response when Jesus Christ is speaking. So he, I wouldn't say he, well he does, he goes for them. There's a fiery sermon. First of all, he says this to them. Well, there's a well-known saying that we know, familiarity breeds contempt. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his home town. Here he is. He's well known to them. And that well-known saying, familiarity breeds contempt. Well, what about you and me this morning? How long have you been a Christian? How long have you been a church goer? And this, this Bible, did it once used to thrill you, but now maybe you've got several and then you've got them on your iPhone and your different devices. Is it familiar? Is it too familiar? What about the gospel, the old, old story? Oh, he's not going to tell us that again about the Lord Jesus Christ who came to atone for sins, not his own. He's not going to tell us that again, is he? I've heard it before. I remember going to a church many years ago. Maybe it's 35 years ago now. I was still a chemist in, in London. And the, uh, the elder said to me as I, as I went in, of course, we're all Christians here. We don't need to hear the gospel tonight. Well, they got the gospel that night because we all need to hear the gospel. Sinners need to hear the gospel to be saved and Christians need to hear the gospel because it's their only source of strength. Jesus, keep me near the cross. They're a precious fountain. Free to all a healing stream flows from Calvary's mountain in the cross, in the cross. Be my glory ever, ever. So we can be familiar with the Bible and with the gospel and with this lovely service here this morning. We did our hearts thrill as we came through the Oh, how pleased and blessed was I to hear the people cry. Come, let us praise our God today. Are we delighted to be here? Or did we drag ourselves here? Is it all too familiar? Lockdown has taught us maybe to cherish these things more and more. There are zones free tonight. Oh, I don't think I'll... Do we treat it with contempt? Does it, is it a light thing to be able to go to church and worship together? It ought not to be a light thing. Now, when I said last Sunday morning there are seven zones free for tonight, well, three of them were taken up. Well, tonight there are five zones free. Let's see if we can fill them. Because maybe you don't know at home there are zones free for tonight's service. Let's... Is it too familiar? Is it too familiar? Is it too easy now just to stay at home and turn on YouTube? Or do something else? There's a lovely hymn by Bernard of uh, Clairvaux. Or sacred head, sore wounded. And the, the third verse says this. What language shall I borrow to thank thee, dearest friend, for this thy dying sorrow, thy pity, Without end, oh, make me thine forever. And should I fainting be, Lord, let me never, never outlive my love.
to thee. It's a very daring prayer verse that uh, Bernard writes there. In fact, he's saying, if ever you see, Lord, my heart's going to grow cold and I become familiar with these things, over familiar, take me. I don't want to live a life that's half-hearted or lukewarm. I want to be hot for you, Lord Jesus Christ, or, or take me before I begin to slip away into the miasma of over-familiarity. We know him, he's Joseph's son. This is the carpenter. Oh, and those who should have known much better that Sunday, that Sabbath morning in uh, Nazareth, they, they didn't. And so Jesus is going to pass over and he gives them a lesson from history, how God has passed over those who are over-familiar and count his blessings as a light thing. And he begins with Elijah and he goes on to Elisha, those two fiery prophets of the Old Testament. He tells you, let me remind you, in the days of Elijah, when it didn't rain for three years and six months, and there was a famine in the land. There were many widows in Israel, but Elijah was sent to none of those. You can see the indignation starting to rise. And it rises even further when he says, but he was sent to a widow in Sidon, Zarephath in Sidon, a Gentile woman. Here it is in, uh, you've got your Bibles, so if you want to flick on your devices, 1 Kings chapter 17. It's a very powerful passage. And God sends Elijah to a widow, a pagan widow, a Gentile widow. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Listen to what God says. Behold, <clears throat> I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And as he arrives in Zarephath, there's a, an elderly lady and she's collecting sticks. And uh, the Lord says, well, this is the one. She looked very unlikely. So he goes up to the woman, could you get me a drink, please? So she turns to get him a drink. And then Elijah adds, and could you bring me a little bread, please, for I am hungry. Because this is the one who's going to feed you, Elijah. And that the woman turns round and with a very sad face says, Sir, I am gathering a few sticks here. And here's my plan. I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you. You've got a kind face. Let me be honest with you. I'm going to make a fire. I've got a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. I'm going to make one cake of bread and then me and my son will eat it and curl up our toes and die because that's the last that we have. And so, Elijah, inspired by the Spirit, says to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first... Make a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterwards make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, there's your circumstances. Now in the synagogue there in Nazareth, it's the carpenter's son. It's Joseph's son. That's their circumstances. But look above. Here's what the Lord says. This day in your presence, this scripture has been fulfilled. Here's a widow 
in Zarephath, a Sidonian. <laughs> Thus says the Lord God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. And she was indignant and went off in a rage. You feed yourself. I'm going to feed myself and my son. No, no. Faith. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and her household ate for many days. And the jar of flour was not spent. Neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that was spoken by Elijah. The Sidonian woman had faith. It was proved by her actions. They speak much louder than words. And then Elisha, there were many lepers in Israel in Elisha's day, but Elisha wasn't sent to any of them, but only the pagan Syrian Naaman was healed. Now, interestingly, it took very little time for the Sidonian widow to respond. It was immediate. That's great. And some people come to faith. The first Sunday they hear the gospel, they come to faith. Others it takes some time. Now, Naaman the leper took him a bit of time. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times. He's in... There are better rivers back in Syria. I will not. And he's going to go home. But his servant says, listen now, come on. What have you got to lose? You're a leper. What have you got to lose this morning? You're a sinner. Only Jesus Christ can do you good. Repent and believe. You've had the gospel already. He, the Son of God, came and lived a perfect life for you. Though he was rich, that's Jesus, for your sakes, you, he became poor, the poverty of the cross. He lived for you. He died for your sins. He dies to atone for sins, not his own. Your price he has paid, your ransom he's won. You all may receive the pardon he did leave. Who made intercession, my Father forgive for you and for me. He prayed on the tree. The prayer is accepted. That sinner is free. That sinner am I who on Jesus rely and come for the pardon. Listen to this daring verse. God cannot deny. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Naaman, just go and wash. So it took him a little bit of time. But he went and he washed. Once. Came to church once. Nothing. Twice. I'll go again three times, four times, five, six. Still a leper, still a leper. But God said seven, seventh time, clean. Clean. Elijah, Elijah. (laughs) And again, the application is is clear. You You and I, Jesus and his word. Oh, the gospel, the gospel. We need to respond To the gospel. Take the examples from the Old Testament. It's worth reading. Time's going on. I'll just quote it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll repay careful reading this afternoon over a cup of coffee. These things says God's servant, an example to you, how God treated his people in the Old Testament. Let it be an example to, to you. Don't harden your hearts. Don't go into immorality. Don't lie. Don't grumble. That was a big complaint God had against his people in the Old Testament. They were grumblers. It's the wrong colour. He's not wearing a tie. 
Why can't we just have hymns? He's got that modern song. He brought iron brewing to the pulpit. And grumbling about things that really are of no consequence whatsoever. In a billion years from now, you'll have forgotten all about it. But Jesus Christ will always remember his person and his work. And when you and I hear the gospel, we need to repent. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is never, never nice. It demands a continual response. We're coming towards a conclusion. If you're not yet converted, you need to be saved. All right, children, adults, do you know you're going to heaven? Well, I hope so. If you hope so, you're not going. What's your hope on? Well, I hope I've been good enough. You're never good enough. Are you going to heaven? Yes, I know so. That's arrogant, isn't it? Not at all. Well, how do you know? Because it depends on what Jesus did and not what I did. And he did all things well. He lived for me. He died for me. He rose again. I'm just hanging on to him. He's taking me to heaven. And we need to repent of what we are and what we tried to do. And we, we turn and put our faith in Jesus Christ. That initially being saved. So do it, do it now. But if we are Christians... We need to continually repent and trust. There's a daily repenting, not for salvation, but for, oh, we go astray still and we say and think and do wrong things and we lack faith. We need to keep on trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And tonight's service at five o'clock, I say Romans chapter 12, it really should hurt as we go through these verses because it's application in the view of his mercies. How am I living What is the sign that Christianity is true? You and me, how are we doing? What does the world think about Christianity when it has a look at you and a look at me? Well, finally then, the violent reaction. See, if you and I do not repent, we will reject him. And here this this church rage at Jesus Christ is really a preview of Calvary. They will kill him in the end, but it will be at his own time. And he himself, of course, will give up the ghost. Church rage, preview of Calvary. They're all filled with rage. They get up and they drive him out the door and push him up a hill where there's a cliff and they would throw him over the cliff. Remember the devil? Uh, Just a few verses previously uh, in the desert coming to tempt him and tempting him and he's resisting and standing. And then the devil left him for a more opportune time Well, here he comes again, a more opportune time. He stirs up the congregation. They throw him out. They take him up. They're going to kill him there. But it'll not happen there. There's another two and a half years to go. It'll be a Roman cross because the Gentiles will be implicated as well. The whole world that crucifies Jesus wasn't just the Jews, you know. It's the whole world. It's the whole world. The Romans too. Jew and Gentile, away with him. Crucify Him, but it wasn't yet his time. And so, something quite extraordinary happens. Verse 30, but passing through their midst, he went away. Now, how does he do that? Was in the power of the Spirit? Does he now use his innate power as the eternal Son of God? He melts through the crowd and he goes his way. It is not his time. When it is, he will lay down his life on behalf of sinners. But it will not be this occasion 
in this place, in this way. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's no liar. He's no lunatic. And he will be your saviour or he will be your judge. Which will it be? We come to our conclusion here this morning. Let us not be like the congregation in the synagogue at Nazareth, individually or collectively. Let's not just say they were nice words from the aging man. Jesus speaking through his words. But may we consider very carefully what he says to us this morning and respond in according to the faith that he has given to us that our lives might be transformed. Maybe you need to be saved this morning for the first time. Maybe you need to come back to the Lord and put him back at the centre of your life. To God be the glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a brief time in your word. Sad response from the folks there in Nazareth. Pray it wouldn't be our response to your word to us this morning. Pray, Lord, you'd filter out things that have been said that are amiss. And may the pure gold of your word settle in our hearts, illuminate our minds, and move our wills towards yours. We will pray in Christ's name. Amen.